Before we start, I just want to let everyone know that this podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. What is up everybody? Welcome into Locked On Tigers. I am your host Chris Castellani. It's Monday, July 13th and starting this week, you're going to be getting shows every day with baseball rapidly approaching. It's it's time to jump into high gear. Five shows a week starting today, so you can all look forward to that or not. It's up to you. We had some inter-squad games over the weekend, and I'm going to talk about those with you today. Several players showing some promise, several players struggling. Let's talk about it. The first guy I want to focus in on is Kristen Stewart. I talked a bit on Friday's pod about how he had a 4-for-4 day on Thursday. He continued to put together some really good at-bats over the weekend as well. Even his outs were hard-hit outs, productive outs. You know, he's one of the guys on this roster I'm really rooting for because I think at least with the bat, he has probably the highest ceiling of anyone who is going to be on the 26-man roster, at least of the young guys. You know, this is a guy who had hit at every level he'd played at until he got to the majors. A lifetime minor league OPS of 867 in 122 games in Toledo in 2018. He hit 23 bombs, saw limited action, only appeared in 17 games in Detroit in 2018, but showed some promise there as well. Well, there was a reason why this guy was never, there was never really any doubt that he wasn't going to be this team's starting left fielder a season ago. He homered on opening day last year in extra innings off of Daniel Hudson, the man who would go on to get the final out of the World Series for the Nationals. It seemed like Kristen Stewart was progressing, then he really hit a wall. He was not good a season ago. Only 10 home runs, an on-base percentage of only 305, which for a supposed power hitter is abysmal. The weirdest part was that he just he just never looked comfortable at all. He was bad defensively in the outfield. We all knew he would be, and that falls on the organization, in my opinion, for an inability to develop him. He was not a good defender in college and hasn't developed into a particularly good defender in the minors or major leagues. This is a guy, though, like I said, who has hit at every level of the minor leagues and who was also a defensive liability at every level of the minor leagues. But we knew that if the bat stayed consistent, they'd find a spot for him, but it didn't. And by the end of the year, he kind of got beat out. Now, I'm 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 not going to be all negative here. I know you guys think I hate everything, but I don't. And as disappointing as Kristen Stewart's season was a year ago, I'm willing to cut him a fair amount of slack. Look, we would all love for every rookie to be Aaron Judge. We'd love for every rookie to be Cody Bellinger, uh, a guy who comes up from the minors and is right away one of the best hitters in baseball. But the reality is most rookies struggle in their first year. Most rookies hit a wall at some point. Sometimes it's after the All-Star break. Sometimes it's during the home stretch in September. But all rookies have a rough patch. It's just incredibly unfortunate that Stewart hit a wall pretty early on. But the reason I'm not giving up on him, though, is that while, yes, he struggled mightily a season ago, look up and down that lineup in 2019 and find me one guy who flourished. You can't. Now, it's undeniable that last year's Tigers were offensively lacking in talent. And you can call me Mr. Negative, but that that's a fact. Last year's offense was terrible. 
But you have a lineup full of guys, and not a single one rose above the level of okay. At a certain point, you got to realize that Lloyd McClendon, as a hitting coach, wasn't doing these guys any favors. Now, I did an entire episode early on in which I said I was not confident in the fact that the Tigers simply rearranged the deck chairs on the Titanic, demoting Lloyd McClendon and promoting Joe Vavra, but literally anyone is better than McClendon. And I think the strides that Nick Castellanos made once he got traded only further my point. Yes, this was a team severely lacking in offensive talent, but even their best hitter didn't really find it, find that other gear until he was traded to another team. My hope is that with a new hitting coach, along with the presence of veterans like Miggy, like Crone, like Scope, will allow a young guy like Stewart to prove his worth. He was a guy who we all collectively circled as being a potential long-term guy. Not in the field, obviously, but a long-term DH potentially. The issue is, the H part of DH is pretty darn important. Stewart's got to get the bat going, and hopefully what he's done so far in the inter-squad games is a sign of things to come. Another guy that the Tigers are very high on, and another guy who's shown a lot of promise so far in summer training in the inter-squad games is Harold Castro, who is expected to be the starting second baseman for this team. You know, I've gotten a few scathing reviews recently on iTunes, and I'll probably address those a bit a bit deeper uh, at some point this week. But but one of the reviews said that I overused the term. I'm not high on this guy. That's something I say too often. And in fairness, they're probably right. That's probably one of those phrases, much like I'm going to be honest, where I just say it way too often. It just kind of slips out. But I, I do want to explain what it is that makes me actually high on a prospect. And it's stuff like exit velocity. It's a good scouting report. Being highly drafted, highly coveted helps. If I look at a top prospect list, if they're on there, that helps. And I look for good minor league numbers. Those are the things to me that make me look at a prospect and make me say, you know what, I'm high on this guy. I think he's going to be a pretty darn good ball player. Harold Castro got called up last year and hit for a 281 batting average. That's not bad now. Anyone who's followed baseball in the last, I don't know, 25 years should know by now that batting average is not even in the top seven in terms of categories to look at a hitter's effectiveness at the major league level. And when you look at some of his peripherals, I think I finally pronounced that right. That's always a word I struggle with. This is a guy who was in the 13th percentile in exit velocity, 10th percentile in hard hit rate, 7th percentile in weighted on base average, 14th percentile in expected slugging, 14th percentile in barrel percentage. He's also a guy with a 654 lifetime OPS in the minor leagues. Now, is it out of the realm of possibility that Harold Castro could develop into a solid major league player? Sure, there there are instances in which players just slip through the cracks, and there are instances in which guys, and it's very rare, but I think there are some guys who just play better on bigger stages. There's those guys who kind of kind of fizzle out in the minor leagues. They they finally get the major league call up and they flourish. It's rare. It is extremely seldom, but maybe that's a possibility. With that said, based on the numbers I just ran off to you, there is not an iota of evidence to support the fact that Harold Castro is going to be an effective major league ball player with a high ceiling. Now, once we get to a point where Torque gets called up or Riley Green gets called up and Paredes gets called up and you fill this lineup with a couple guys who can actually hit home runs, the idea of having a Harold Castro down in the lineup, maybe a number nine hitter, a number nine hitter where batting average is probably more important than it is if you're a number one or two or three or four hitter, 
then then maybe he could be effective. A guy that I always looked at as someone with a, a low ceiling who I think did the most with it was Jose Iglesias. Jose Iglesias was not a great hitter, and the Tigers tried a few times, I remember in 2015, putting him in different places in the lineup. They would put him second. I think they had batted him lead off a few times, and he was just never comfortable. But you put Jose Iglesias in the number nine spot, he was reliable. Hit 300 for this team, made an all-star team for this organization. He was also one of the best defensive shortstops I've ever seen. Harold Castro yet to prove his worth with the glove at second base, though I don't recall him being necessarily awful. He's very much a mystery. They're going to give him reps, and I don't blame him for that. He has, unlike some of the other guys like Dowell Lugo or Jamer Candelario, he has a guy who, in fairness, has stepped up. He wants that job, and they're going to give him the second base job to start the season. I have serious doubts based on what I just read off of how effective he'll be, but I'm rooting for him. I think a lot of people sometimes get this misconception that I would much rather be right than see my team succeed. Uh, Nothing would please me more than to see Harold Castro uh, hit at the major league level. It would be an unbelievable surprise. And you know what? If you want to build a champion, I've said this before, you need some of those surprises. You need one of those guys who falls through the cracks and and maybe surprises you at the major league level. I kind of doubt that Harold Castro is that guy, but you never know. And at the very least, the guy's been hitting. He's doing right now in summer training and really in the latter part of last season, everything he can to earn a spot on a major league roster. And that's that's kind of all you can ask for at this point. So that's going to do it for segment number one. When I come back, I'm going to talk about a pair of pitchers who I think are kind of going in separate directions for this organization. We'll be back. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And we're back. So I did want to talk about two pitchers briefly who who pitched in inter-squad games over the weekend. One is Spencer Turnbull, who I thought looked legitimately excellent. And when you talk about certain guys on this team who I think could potentially be on this roster long-term, Spencer Turnbull, to me, is one who stands out. Now, was he great a season ago? Uh, not at all. Had had moments of brilliance, especially early on. And there's a lot to like about him. You like his demeanor, you know, very even keel guy. But most of all, look, I, I bring that up a lot, but what matters the most is stuff. And, and I think it pretty much across the board, Ron Gardenhire and really a majority of the people within the organization agreed Spencer Turnbull has the best stuff on this staff. Now, depending on how Michael Fulmer looks coming off of injury, that could change, but he's got a live arm, a fastball that I think peaked at around 97 miles per hour a season ago. 
he's still raw. I actually like him quite a bit. I probably like him more than a lot of other people do. I think a lot of people view his ceiling as a potential, like a good four, maybe a really good number five pitcher. I, I think his ceiling's actually higher. Like, I think considering his stuff, he's a guy who could be like a really solid number three in a rotation. I legitimately believe that. And when you look at the reinforcements that this organization has coming here pretty soon in the form of Casey Mize, in the form of Matt Manning, in the form of Tariq Skubal and Alex Fajardo, the idea of, of a Spencer Turnbull being a four or a five in a really good rotation is very exciting. And I think last year I got a bit frustrated with the fact that they didn't shut him down. They pitched him in a lot of meaningless games down the stretch. And I was really angry about it at the time, but in hindsight, I, I, you know what, I, I shouldn't have been as bothered by it because this is a guy who needed to learn how to pitch in the grind of a 162-game season. He did, and he took his lumps a season ago, especially in the second half. And, and watching him in the inner squad games, the mechanics look cleaner. That, that, that was never really an issue with him, at least recently. Stuff looks sharper, which it should. I mean, he hasn't pitched in a long time, but I, I think if there's one guy on this team, you want me to be positive, I'll be positive here. If there's one guy on this team right now that I think could legitimately have in a 60-game set a, a breakout quote-unquote season, I could see it being Spencer Turnbull. I like him as a pitcher. I think early on last year, he showed signs of a guy who was ready to pitch in the major leagues, took his lumps, gave up a lot of hard contact. He's got to learn to to locate a little bit more, but for the most part, I think there's a lot to like about this guy. I think he has more upside than probably any other pitcher on the staff. I mean, far and away, any other pitcher on the staff right now, even more so than someone like Matt Boyd, who I think is pretty close to reaching his ceiling. I don't think Spencer Turnbull has begun to peak. I I like this kid quite a bit. Another guy who pitched and got absolutely rocked, didn't even make it through one inning, was Jordan Zimmerman. Now, I've gone through the gamut of emotions with Jordan Zimmerman. I think a lot of us have. You know, we loved him right away. He had that one month, that April 2016, in his first year in Detroit, where he was Greg Maddox, AL Pitcher of the Month, beat out Chris Sale, who was dominating for the White Sox at the time. Then we went through the stretch of, okay, I like this guy, but there's something there's something wrong with him. Is he all right? Is he injured? To about a two-year stretch where we're seeing his face made me physically sick. Now, that's that's on me being a psychopath. That has nothing to do with, with Jordan Zimmerman to now just feeling sorry for him. Jordan Zimmerman is a prime example of a pitcher in the major leagues who shouldn't be pitching in the major leagues. And I don't think there's any level right now that he could be effective in. I think if you demoted him to double A, I think he would still struggle. His stuff is just that flat right now. And I've looked at every team's potential rotation in 2020, I don't see one other ball club that would even so much as consider employing this guy and putting him out there once every fifth day. Now, I understand they still got the contract. It's his last year, yada, yada, yada. Right now, the rotation's full. It's a six-man rotation right now. Once Norris comes back and assuming Fulmer comes back healthy, you got to bump one of those guys out. And I don't want anyone to necessarily lose their job, but at the end of the day, Jordan Zimmerman's getting paid. He's been fine. Jordan Zimmerman's had a a solid career, not in Detroit necessarily, but I have grown to have kind of a soft spot for the guy, not as a pitcher, but I just feel like he has, he was given a, an abysmal contract, right? One of the worst contracts in the history of Detroit sports, and he has struggled mightily inexplicably has started two opening days for this ball club for some reason, actually had what a perfect game going through six and two thirds, one start a season ago on opening day. Just a very strange, inconsistent pitcher, but in the latter part of last year, he was very consistent. He was consistently awful, and I just, 
even in a 60-game season, I don't know if he's going to be able to survive it. I, I think either they move him to the pen, which I don't even think he'd be particularly effective there, or they just flat-out release him. And it's it's sad because this is a guy who you, you look at you know his pitch selection. This is a guy who has clearly made some attempts to fix himself. He's a guy who has never quit, and I, I give him a, a lot of credit for that. He's a guy who still has that fire, but at the end of the day, he, he literally and figuratively does not have his fastball anymore. Yes, he throws a lot of strikes, but those strikes get pounded, and I I don't know how he survives a 60-game season. I, he was 1-13 last year. Now, obviously, record is not the best indicator for the effectiveness of a pitcher, but he had an ERA of almost 7. Well, we knew this guy is not a guy who should be pitching in the major leagues, and I am aware completely, and they'll deny this, but it's true. I am aware of the fact that they are still tanking. They are still in team tank, and even in a 60-game season, but I think there's a way to do that and not make it as blatantly obvious. Like, I would actually, and this is stunning, I'm sure to hear, I would rather have someone like Ryan Carpenter starting every fifth day than Jordan Zimmerman, because at least with a young guy like like a Carpenter, even though he's no longer with the organization, someone like him, you have the minuscule 0.001% chance that they actually turn out to be something, as opposed to Jordan Zimmerman, who is done and has been done for several years. Just a really uh, embarrassing, sad tenure in Detroit, and uh, in abysmal contract. I don't blame him for that contract. He earned that contract, but he he's been very poor in Detroit, and it's been it's been remarkably disappointing seeing his steep decline into just pretty much downright awfulness. And it's too bad because I do I do like the guy as a person. I think he's handled himself with with total class and professionalism. But on the field, um, he's been uh, he's been pretty darn awful. Okay, so that is going to do it. For today's show, finally some stuff to talk about that's uh, refreshing and new. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. You can follow this show on Twitter at LockdownTigers. If you have any questions for the mailbag segment, you can send them to this show's Gmail account, LockdownTigers at gmail.com. And while you're at it, hey, go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave, leave a positive review of this show. It would be much appreciated. I've gotten a few scathing reviews recently. Like I said, I think I will address those at a certain point, because I think they bring up some some fair and justified criticism, and, and some I, I feel like I, I do need to explain myself, because I, I can't lie to you. Making content over these last couple months during the pandemic, especially baseball content, has been extremely difficult, and I will, I will address that before we get to opening day, but for now, that is going to do it for today's show. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and go Tigers.